Good evening. Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, hopefully we can calmly talk about things that are important to ponder. No arguments necessary. If you disagree with me, and you certainly have the freedom and the right to do that, then go to God's Word and see what He says and listen to Him. The goal of this half hour is to get us to turn our hearts toward God and to listen to Him and to enjoy who He is, to enjoy the way He made us, because He tells us He created us while we were in our mother's womb. He crafted us into the people we should be. We need to spend time every day enjoying the fact that God loves us. The Almighty God, the Creator and Sustainer of the Earth, loves us. Once again, I'm coming to you from the studios here at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute, where I really get to share my time doing programs like this and teaching college students and talking to eight-year-old campers in the summer to watching families come up and just enjoy being together and doing the various activities as well as worshiping together here on these grounds. What a special privilege it's been. You can check out those activities at silverbirchranch.org, silverbirchranch.org, and see what we're all about and pray for us. We are hoping God continues to use this place to help people know Christ and to make Him known. Lately, I've been thinking about our personal responsibility, our responsibility to do what is right regardless of what everybody else does. Kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They knew their responsibility was not to bow. Daniel, personal responsibility, not to quit praying. Noah, personal responsibility, build a boat in a mountain. Moses, personal responsibility, walk toward the Red Sea. Stephen, personal responsibility, preach what God puts on your mind to preach and take the consequences. We all have personal responsibilities, and I guarantee you that God has equipped us to be able to do what we're supposed to do. One of the things we can't do is ignore what we're supposed to do. Then we're not taking our personal responsibilities seriously. I have been referencing a book. It's not a Bible book. I don't know if this author is a believer or not, but a book where I got some thoughts and then went to the Bible. And it's called The Death of Free Speech and the Cost of a Free Lunch. Recessional, The Death of Free Speech and the Cost of a Free Lunch by David Mamet. And he wrote a book that had me thinking about some things. And then I went to the scriptures and looked things up and, and realized how important it is that we talk once again to our country about being responsible with what we have. I have to be responsible with the resources that I have. The best way for me to be responsible is to know and act in accordance with the idea that God actually is the one who owns all things. I'm a steward. My health, my money, my resources, all that I have really are His, and I need to use all of those things in a way that would honor Him. If I do that, then the rest of it's really up to Him because I'm using what He's given me in His work. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with 
all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We understand that we have the responsibility of training the next generation in the way that they should walk. And we do that through every opportunity that God gives us. I think one of the things that Satan is doing in our culture today is trying to divide families from spending just time together. I know I've heard quality time and all that kind of stuff, and that may be, but just time together. Maybe we should rake leaves together, cut grass together. Maybe we should go for walks together as families. Maybe we should take on projects where we take care of the needy together as a family and not do it separately with youth groups or adult groups or whatever else we're doing. Maybe families need to spend more time just doing the normal things of life together and in the process, mom and dad look for ways to talk to young people about what they're actually doing in life and why they're doing it. It's those moments that are so precious, those moments while your children are just walking with you or sitting in your house or walking by the way. In our day and age, it might be driving in a car or whatever else it might be, but we get so distracted by phones and media. We don't listen to each other. We don't talk to each other. There's silence going on, and that can't be helpful. I think we need to be responsible and do a better job at communicating on a regular basis with our family. Once again, I encourage those who listen to make talking about God and your relationship with God a normal thing around your house. Make it normal, not, not time that you designate, but normal time. Or you can designate time as well, but if that's the only time you talk about God, the only time you bring out a Bible, then our children are being trained that there are moments where you have a relationship with God, but this relationship with God thing is only during those moments. We need to bring it back to front and center, having discussions about how God would want us to use our resources, our health, our family, our house, our cars. We need to have those discussions. As a kid, I remember my dad buying cars so that they could be used for ministry. His idea was, how do you buy a car that could be used not just to transport our bodies around, but fill it with kids, pick up children on the way to Sunday school, take people up to camp in the summer. Whatever it takes, let's get a bigger car so that we can help as much as possible. It wasn't about having a more comfortable or bigger car for our family. We didn't need it. We only had four in our family. It was because we expected God to allow us the privilege of bringing kids to church or bringing kids to youth group or bringing kids to summer camp. So you buy a bigger car and then you look for filling it. That was a normal discussion, not something that was out of the norm. I guess I grew up always hearing talk about ministry. And obviously a pastor's son would hear preaching on Sundays from my own dad. It was normal for me to think that people walked with God and loved God and responded to God. I think we need to do that in our homes. This book, David Mamet, said something like this. He said, what's the left's narrative 
about where the current problems come from. If you look at our world, he's trying to say, what is the liberals' narrative about what the current problems come from? Liberalism seeks to weaponize microaggressions and tear down the successful, hardworking, and wealthy in the name of sharing the success with less fortunate. One way they do this is by constantly pointing back to how America's success was built on the backs of slaves, and so it shouldn't be acknowledged or celebrated. Rather, we have to make reparations for our sins of our ancestors. Well, that's an interesting thought process, but it's not a thought process, I think, that's well thought through. There have been people who have been abused in all of history, in every country, in every place, in every way, and abuse is always wrong. And our Heavenly Father will deal with the abuse. I'm not sure that the answer is going to try and make reparations with people who have no idea what went on many years ago. Second Thessalonians 3:10-12 says, For even when we were with you, we could give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul in Second Thessalonians is saying there is a standard here that we should live by. If people don't work, then they shouldn't eat. We should all be responsible to work a full day. If I'm not working because there are no jobs, I need to be looking for work to do. If there is not a job, then I need to be serving somehow. But I should work every single day. I'm made to do that. Well, I'm not saying you never take time off. I'm, I'm saying that we as a people are responsible to work. And that work will have some kind of income to it. One of the things I try and teach young people is that they don't work for money. They work because God put them on this planet to work. They serve. It's not just work. They serve. And you can serve in a restaurant. You can serve as president of the United States. You could serve if you're a bus driver. You could serve if you're a welder or an electrician. You can serve. You serve the people that you work for and you represent the king while you do that. And you'll get paid something. In our society, they pay people differently. They might pay somebody who serves you your food differently than they pay an electrician or the president of the United States. But it's not the money you work for. If you do work for money, it can quickly become your God, little g. And before you know it, there's all kinds of corruption that takes place. The standard in the Bible isn't how much you get paid. The standard in the Bible is that if you don't work, you don't eat. If I'm the one that's hiring you, the Bible does make it clear that I don't take advantage of you, that I actually take care of you the best that I can. I understand that. But today to go back and give people large sums of money for something that we think might have happened hundreds of years ago and get it so that they don't have to work hard anymore is not going to help those people. The standard in life is that we work and press forward and work and at the end of the day, we see that God has used that work in his plan. And those that don't know God, with a capital G, then maybe they're working for the God of money. And therefore, they only want money so that they can evaluate their lives as far as success or failure based on money. 
There is so much more in this life to evaluate success on than money. There are many, many poor people who are very successful in life. There are many poor and sick people who are successful. There are those who are disabled that are successful in life. There are those that are rich that are successful in life. Success is not measured by the amount of resources we have. Everybody today has the same opportunity because we have the same God, unless you don't have God in your life. If you're one who has never entered God's family, you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're not in God's family. And I guess you might as well serve money or whatever else because that's all you've got. But those of us that are in God's family, we understand that it is God that takes care of us. It's God that provides for us. And we work today because it is God who allowed us the body, the skill, the ability, given us the resources. And we just manage those resources the way God would want us to. There is such a freedom working not for money but working for the king and accepting whatever salary we get in that context. If I'm supposed to be a missionary to the auto plant in Detroit, money doesn't matter. I'm a missionary there. I'm the one that's working side by side with the others, and I get to demonstrate Christ's love to them. It's not just about money. It's about getting up every day with the great purpose that God has given us to represent him properly. That's what it's about. And we are thrilled to be able to be part of it. There are people all the way through history who have abused their positions in life in various ways. We can't right all the wrongs of everybody who ever lived. But anyone who's listening today can do what's right with their life and make sure the next generations have the best opportunity possible to enjoy God, to love Him, to walk with Him, and to live the way they were meant to live. If I keep looking backwards and seeing all of the things in life that we were robbed of because somebody didn't do something right, I'm going to be miserable and paralyzed for going forward. I have responsibility today. The young people that live today need to be treated right. They need to be loved. They need to be given what they need in life to know who God is and to walk with Him. They need examples in life of what it looks like to walk with God, and I can do that. And I need to do that. I need to apply the scriptures where I understand if you're not going to work today, if you don't want to work, you, you don't need to eat. Because there is a problem with those who don't work. They fill their day with something. And the indication in verse 11 of Second Thessalonians 3 is that they hear that some among them walk in idleness. Not busy, but busy bodies. There are people that get up today that have nothing to do. And so they begin to delve into business they shouldn't be delving into. They begin to listen to others talk about life and giving their opinion about things that really they're not on the inside and they shouldn't be giving an opinion about. Before you know it, they're busybodies. And that's not a compliment. In fact, verse 12 says that now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As I continue to look at things written in this book, I'll read you another quote here where he says, What tactics does the left use to cloud our ability to think and speak freely? One thing our society's fond of doing is dressing something up with a new name and trying to pass it off as something else. 
or at the very least, blur its definition. But simply calling things by a different title doesn't change their nature. We can, however, confuse the issue and make it seem like its nature has been changed. One example is health. We've renamed it wellness. While health is something we have a pretty good picture of, wellness is much more vague and thus limitless. Any number of products can be marketed under the heading of wellness. And no matter how many you buy, there's always another product on the shelf that promises to fill that gap in your wellness. Another example is shareholder, which has become stakeholder over the years. Ironic, considering a stakeholder is an audience member at a gambling event, not a participant. Those who followed the government's mandates without question were submitting to the very thing that they claimed to hate, slavery. And those who questioned or pointed out the hypocrisy of our leaders were vilified, portrayed as hating humanity and having no regard for human life. The goal of the left is terror, that we would be so afraid of what they might do to us that we would dare question them. Such fear not only keeps any dissenters quiet, but also motivates them to accept and endorse the opposing views in the name of self-respect. Capitulating to the left gives the illusion of choice, even though the truth is that cowardice is often at the heart of the change. This is what our society has come to. You're either complacent under the government's reign, or you're ostracized, canceled, and demonized. Well, that's pretty interesting. His observations are very simple, saying there's something going on in culture that seems very strange and very powerful. Let me remind you that Satan is one that is a liar, the father of lies. He's a deceiver. If you're a deceiver, you're really good at deceiving. If you were really poor at it, nobody would listen to you. But if you're a good liar, if I could put those two words together in a good deceiver, if I could put those two words together, then people don't recognize your lies. You say things in a way that sound right. And those who think through them need some time to actually think through what you have said. Because what you're doing is trying to use words to build a case for a lie. God says things rather simply in the Bible. When somebody questioned who he, his authority, he basically said he was God. If God says that God has said this, there is no higher authority. There's no way that you can deny what he said, and he has just stopped you from having any authority at all in the matter. God has already defined gender. He's already defined family. He's already defined a lot of things in life. We understand that abortion is murder. You look in the Bible and you will see that when somebody harms a lady who is pregnant and the baby dies, that they get charged with murder. It's clear in the Bible that babies are human beings from the time of conception till the time they die. And they need to be treated with the respect and dignity that God expects them to have. Yet, we change the words so that people begin to doubt that those babies are real humans. We use any word besides baby. Fetus, 
tissue, whatever you want to use. No, those children are babies. And murder will always be wrong. And you can start redefining things any way you want, in any manner you'd like, and you'll still be wrong. However, you might start appealing to people because of the way that you talk. But saying things in a way that convinces people that you're right does not make you right. It might make you eloquent. It might make you verbose, but it doesn't make you right. The only way that somebody can be right is if they agree with what God says. And the only way that you can know what God says is by opening the Bible and reading it. In Romans 12, 9 to 21, it says, you know, it gives us the true marks of a true Christian. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let me stop on that ninth verse. We are to hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. So what Satan is trying to do is get us to not even know what evil is and certainly to have a loose grip on what's good. Because good is a comparative phrase. So if we're going to hold fast to what's good, we're holding fast to what's right. So now we have to have a loose definition so that our holding is not fast. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will, be, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you really want to know how we're supposed to act, let God define it. And I just read a passage that we could read every day and adjust our life according to it. We don't need to listen to what the liberals or the overly conservative people say about definitions. What we need to do is read the Bible and see what God is actually saying and allow ourselves the privilege of living in the context of the truth that he gives us. Because the truth is what sets us free. Not being slaves, not being slaves to our feelings, our desires, not being slaves to just hearing new definitions and redefining what we believe because of it. We need to let love be genuine. Romans 13, 1-7 talks about being submissive as people. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Matthew twenty-two twenty-one says, They said Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know how to interact with government officials, you can look at the book of Nehemiah. You can look at the book of Ezekiel. It's not that we listen to everyone blindly in government and do what they say. If they say something that's against God, they went against the highest authority of the land. The government is instituted in order to bring order to the societies in which we live. And God is a God of order. Just like there is a marriage between a husband and a wife and the order that God puts in a family should be there. And there is order in the church the way that God designed the church to be, and there is order in government. Now, in all three of those areas, in the family and in in the church and in government, if the authorities go against what God has said, what he says plainly in his word, then they are no longer the authorities in our life, not in those areas. However, there's a lot of things that government officials do that We should submit to whether we agree or not agree. They can put stop signs up and stop and go lights up and they can paint yellow stripes on highways and do all kinds of things. They can set speed limits while we're driving. And I think the Bible makes it very clear that we need to subject ourselves to the authorities in our lives when those authorities are not going against what the will of God is. The minute that Nebuchadnezzar, though, demands that we bow to him, we stand firm like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel were people who were moving way up on the government scale because they understood what it was to subject themselves to the government authorities. They're used in the scriptures, though, as a very clear example of how we interact with government authorities. There's a line we draw in the sand. When the government crosses that line, we no longer listen to them. They are no longer the authority. God is always the authority. And should a government entity destroy people who listen to God, then God himself will interact with that government authority, and they will wish that they never did that. Because God is ultimately the one we answer to. 
He's ultimately the one I answer to, and he's ultimately the one you answer to, and ultimately the one who will judge the government authorities. I can't ensure that anyone in our government will listen to God. I can be sure that I listen to God. That's my choice, and that's what I'm responsible to do. That's what you're responsible to do, and I pray that we take our responsibility seriously. Once again, I was reading excerpts from a book by David Mamet, M-A-M-E-T, Recessional, the Death of Free Speech and the Cost of a Free Lunch. I think my real deep thoughts have come from the scriptures, obviously. But it's interesting to read a book where it starts talking about how our society is tearing down the absolutes that God has given to us and how they work at trying to demean those who hold to the standard that God has given us. There is an absolute. The Bible tells us that those who know the truth, they'll be living lives in freedom. And that's really what you and I need to understand and what we need to do, live our lives as free people because we know the truth and we apply it to our lives. I'm Dave Wager. I'm here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolet Bible Institute. Thanks for listening. Good night for now. Thank you.